Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the Practical Voice Podcast. This episode of VUX World is brought to you by Europe's most forward-thinking UX and design conference, Mobile UX London. We've spoke about this before on the podcast. It's the fourth annual conference that they're putting on. It's covering all kinds of areas and voice is a huge part of that. I'm going to be hosting the event and I cannot wait for that. Our guest today, Paul Jackson, is going to be speaking. He's from the BBC. He's going to be speaking there uh, as well about all the things that he's been learning while designing for the BBC. Not all of it's going to be in this podcast, so you'll need to go to Mobile UX London to hear the rest of it. Uh, Also, we're talking about things there around virtual reality, augmented reality, connected cars and homes, mobile gamification, and as I said, voice as well. You can get your ticket right now at mobileuxlondon.com and you can save 20% if you use the promo code VUXWORLD. This podcast is also brought to you by, it's Mobile UX London again, but this is their Designing for Voice course. It's a course, it's in London, it's a six-week course, and you will learn all kinds of things around mastering conversation design, prototyping and testing voice experiences. We're looking at advanced topics in VUI design and VUI design, evaluating use cases, deliverables for certification, the general overview of developing for Alexa skills. Um, the people delivering this course, it's it's in partnership with Aviva, and we have people, you know, senior UX designers and lead developers from Aviva, the insurance company and they're going to be doing the course and delivering the course it is absolutely immense head to mobileuxlondon.com right now because there's a new course starting in january and you can sign up right now you will not regret it careers are changing design is changing voice is the future of design for many many brands and companies we're going to be speaking to the bbc today and just how seriously they're taking this is unbelievable so now really is the time to start thinking about if you're interested in voice and you want to make it a career 2019 will be the time when you can do that and you can get off to a flying start in January with this Designing for Voice course. And if you mention VUX World when you sign up, you'll save 10%. Mobile UX London, thank you so much to the team at Mobile UX London for presenting this week's podcast. The BBC. Today, we're joined by the BBC, the British Broadcast Corporation, and we're going to be talking all about how they're approaching this whole voice thing and some of the methodologies they've been using, some of the research they've been using, and more specifically, how to design voice experiences for people who can't even talk yet (laughs) for kids. We're going to be talking about designing voice experiences for kids. We're joined by senior designer Paul Jackson, and he's been working intently over the summer on the CBB's Alexa skill. Uh, we're going to be talking to Paul all about all of the design decisions that were made and all about the process of how it was designed, some of the research that they've been done and what they've learned. We're going to be talking a little bit as well about the BBC and their approach to voice and the team structures and, and some of the other projects that they've got going on. This is a really, really deep dive into designing for kids and also giving you a bit of an insight into how the BBC are approaching this space. It's a fantastic podcast. You're going to absolutely love it. Me and Dustin had an absolute whale of a time. Paul is immensely fantastic. You're going to love it. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Paul Jackson of the BBC on VUX World.
So, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Jackson of the BBC. Paul, welcome. Thanks, yeah. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Thank you for joining us. I've been pursuing the BBC for quite a while now. I've been speaking speaking with a few people um, and we just haven't managed to make the stars align, but we have done today. So I really, really appreciate you joining us. Thanks very much. Yeah, no problem. You're very welcome. Dustin, what's the... Um, do France have a BBC equivalent? Or even the USA, do they have a BBC equivalent? I would say in the US, the equivalent is NPR. Uh, if you think of it in terms of uh, sort of national media, uh, PBS, I think, is also perhaps a, a good analogy. But if we're thinking about voice specifically, NPR is, is doing great things, much like BBC is as well. Yeah. What about France? France, uh, there's a there's a handful. Uh, I don't consume as much uh, French media, uh, but there's certainly national television stations and national radio as well. Nice. So, Paul, tell everybody a little bit about what you looked at the BBC. The BBC has been just grabbing hold of this whole voice thing by the scruff of the neck, hasn't it, over the last kind of few months. I've heard lots and lots of interesting stuff uh, coming out of the BBC. I've experienced lots of interesting stuff on the old device over here, which I'll put on mute in case it kicks off. (laughs) Um, So tell us a little bit about what you do and, and, and a little bit about what the BBC have been up to. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So I am a uh, a designer on the voice and AI team. Uh, That's the official name of our team within the BBC. Um, And yeah, we've got quite a serious commitment to voice. Uh, We see it as a really great new frontier and we want to be, we want to be on the front foot with it, really. Um, So we've been doing loads of things. I think the the first thing we released was the inspection chamber that came out of BBC R&D. Uh, and from then, uh, a voice and AI team was formed. Uh, we released a BBC skill, which allows you to listen to the radio and listen to podcasts. Uh, and in September, we released the BBC Kids skill, uh, which is something that uh, I've worked on. That was my uh, that was my baby, so to speak. Um, and we've got lots more uh, in the pipeline. Basically, yeah, we've made a really serious commitment to to voice and to to getting lots of our products. Uh, onto smart speakers. Wicked. And is it smart speakers solely that you've been focused on? Or have you been looking at, for example, Google Assistant on, on mobiles and stuff like that? Or is it purely smart speakers at the minute? Um, it's voice and AI in any terms, really. Um, we want to find that, you know, we want to find the best way to get BBC products onto, um, onto voice, conversational UI, and, you know, um, the next generation of devices, really. So... Yeah, we've we've got um, got two skills out at the moment on uh, on Alexa, uh, and we are looking to um, looking to bring stuff out on Google as well, and you know lots of other devices beyond that as we just try and learn as much as we can about this space. And Paul, so what about you? Were you already in voice and you came to the BBC to work on this? Were you in BBC got into voice? How did you get into this field? So I was already at the BBC. Um, I used to work in interactive TV. Uh, I did that for two years, and then a role came up as a senior designer, and I applied for that. And part of the interview process at the BBC involves um, completing a task, and part of that task um, is about picking a medium, and they give you three examples. You can pick something that is for the web, something that's for mobile, or something that's for TV. And I sort of was a bit cheeky and I knew there was a voice team being formed. So I sort of made my task a little bit about voice 
I sort of built a small scale and demonstrated that back. And then when I got the role, uh, I got put in the voice team, which is sort of exactly what I hoped would happen. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> I've been very, uh, very fortunate to have uh, sort of been picked because I, I know a lot of people are really keen to, to join our team. So, um, yeah, I consider myself very lucky. Nice. And you're going to be speaking at Mobile UX London, which will, by the time this goes out, it'll be next week. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm speaking about the BBC Kids Skill. Um, my talk is called Deceptively Simple, Designing a Voice Experience for Preschoolers. Uh, and it's all based around the question, how do you design a voice experience for an audience that's still learning to speak? And I'm going to explain why um, why anybody should care about designing a voice experience for children, um, how we approached it, and what we've learned about it. Wow, that's uh, how to design a voice experience for people who are just learning to speak. Sounds fairly complex. Yeah, it, it really has been. Yeah, we've, it's been, we've been working on it since March. That's when I joined the team. And I've learned so much about voice, but I've also learned so much about children. And, and it's been really, really useful as a UX designer to, to, to be working on a product uh, that's aimed at children. Because most of the time when you're designing a product, you naturally assume or you make assumptions um, based on the fact that you, you might be the audience. You know, you, you try and not be the user, but every now and then something slips in and you, you end up doing, you know, end up making a decision that's sort of based on your own experiences. Whereas when you're designing for children, you know from the get-go that they, that you are not a child. And so you're certainly the, the approach that you take to it is, um, it's sort of like designing for aliens, you know, you're a lot more rigorous in your research, you know, and, um, and yeah, it's been a, it's been an amazing experience the last six months. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of the skill we've put out. Have you uh, have either of you played with it before? I've had a go. I had a go this week. Um, the CBBS one. That's the one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've had a play around with that. I don't know. If, I don't know whether have you kind of. It obviously won't be available in France, is it, Dustin? I can't imagine. My, mine is actually set to the US. Do you keep it just to the UK or is it uh, pretty worldwide across English locales? Uh, it's just the UK at the moment, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what I'll do as we go through this, I'll, I'll take a few clips out and I'll kind of, once the podcast comes out, the clips will be in. Usually I'd do it as we kind of talk, but today has been a bit manic, so I haven't had a chance to, to, to grab the audio yet. But uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll put some of those stuff in. So it's in, it's interesting, and we'll, we'll get on to speaking um, about that skill and about some of the things that, that you've learned uh, while you've been doing that uh, in, in, in kind of a moment. But I wanted to sort of back up just a little bit. You mentioned that you're part of the voice uh, team at the BBC, so you, presumably this is a whole full-time thing, and you said that they've got two skills. So how, how does it work? work with the team then is, is it one team working across all of the areas is the team split up to one team work on one skill one team work on another skill how, how does it all kind of work in terms of the, the team structure and who does what okay yeah so um the voice and ai team is sort of split into four areas we've got ux which i'm part of as a designer uh, there's an editorial side to it uh, there's a product side to it and there's also obviously an engineering side to it um and I can talk about the UX team a little bit. I'm, I'm part of that. Um, and there's 12 of us at the moment. And we're comprised of designers, information architects, and writers. Uh, and we all get split across different BBC products uh, as part of 
multidisciplinary squad. So each one of those squads uh, is made up of some engineers, uh, some products, some project management, some editorial and some design. Uh, and we're split across three locations, London, Salford and Glasgow. Um, and really, that's just the, the sort of the voice side of it at the moment. We also have a, obviously the AI side, uh, which I can't go into in too much detail um, for a couple of reasons. One, sort of NDAs, confidentiality, etc. Two, uh, don't actually know that much about it. <laughs> no, it's all fairly hush-hush, you know. Um, so, so that's how we're sort of split up. And, and the way we work is um, we sort of blend, you know, the experience side of it, the design side, which is UX, with the content side, which would be editorial. Uh, and then we bring in product expertise as well from uh, the product teams at the BBC. So I worked with a designer called Hazel Wiley, uh, who is a UX designer in children's on this. So she was not a voice designer first and foremost, um, but she has lots of expertise of, around um, BBC's children's um, offering. And so I work really closely with her. And because voice is horizontal, that's that's the way we think that all the teams are going to work. But but uh, at the moment, as, with, as I'm sure everyone's in this boat, that's all subject to change. We're still trying to figure this out. We're trying to apply... You know, perhaps the way we would have worked on on mobile or or on websites previously uh, to this, but we you know we're still figuring it all out. So that's certainly how we've done the BBC Kids skill. But as we move on to other products, that might change depending on how those products work and the the expertise they have there. But but that's certainly the approach we've taken so far. Mm. You, you were talking there about about the BBC are also trying to figure this out, and um, I seen recently that on the so the BBC have put out a, a request for information. And for everyone listening who who kind of is is in the product kind of market as such, those of you that build these kind of conversational user interface solutions, voice solutions, and, and all that kind of stuff, there's there's a request for information out at the moment from the BBC all around voice and conversational user interfaces. Um, and essentially, I don't know whether or not you know too much about this, Paul, or whether you're involved in this or not, but essentially the BBC are kind of looking to reach out to, to established companies and startups to try and help kind of figure out things around their workflows and around how to, you know, how to kind of maybe consider consolidate some of the technology or what have you that they're using um, so if there's anyone out there who builds uh, who is on the software side who, who's creating some of this software i'm thinking of you know the jovos and the pull strings out there uh it's it's essentially it's, it's not a contract it's not no, it doesn't doesn't look like anything that, that you'll get paid for necessarily but it's just to help the bbc kind of figure out a little bit more about this i don't know whether or not you kind of either know about that paul or were involved in any of that or not uh i know a little bit about it um i'm not involved in it um you know, specifically. Um, but yeah, that, that's definitely out there. We'd encourage anyone to, to get in touch because the BBC is really uniquely placed in this space to, to offer something um, that, that none of the, none of the sort of the big boys can offer because we're, you know, entirely licensed fee driven and we are, um, I mean, we're, we're doing it for the good of the user, really. Um, we're not, we're not interested in voice for any other reason than to, um, to provide a good experience for people. One of the things that stood out to me of that RFI that you just mentioned, Kane, was the request for information about automatic speech recognition, ASR for kids. And it comes, it comes back to what you were mentioning 
uh, poll, which was about how do you do research on and how do you design for people who are just learning how to speak. Can you talk a little bit more about what that research process looked like? Um, the research project around uh, with, with children, yeah. Um, so the reason that is in in that in that uh, request is because we found that children aren't very good at speaking and smart speakers aren't very good at listening. Um, and when you put the two together, uh, it's really difficult. Like we we've designed so many error paths, and and we've had to think about error paths more than almost anything else. Like the level of confidence we get back from from what children say and and, and what the device can understand is is quite low, really. It, you know, almost fifty percent sometimes. So I think that's why that that is in that uh, in that request because um, that's something that we've we've had to work around basically. And uh, the better smart speakers get at listening, the better the software is. Um, the easier it will be to design experiences for children. And I'm sure that's that's only compounded by the fact that children aren't necessarily known for being the most patient when things don't go their way. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so one of the things we we saw certainly around patience was if children aren't understood, the next time if you if you reprompt them, the next time they try and answer, they are not answering in a calm manner. They they get angry really quickly, or they shout it so it gets distorted, um, and, and we saw that a lot. So we've we specifically designed our error paths to to make sure that children don't get caught in loops. That's like one of our big principles is that you shouldn't keep children um, having to repeat things. Like if, if they say something twice in our skill and they're not understood, uh, we move them on, move them on to something. We don't keep them you know, in that loop, basically. What's an example of something like that? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, so, uh, so in the BBC Kids skill, um, if you say you want to play a game. Would you like a game or a story? You'll be presented with two random characters. It could be Mr. Tumble. Uh, it could be the Go-Jatters. It could be Dougie from Hey Dougie. Let's listen and find out who's here to play. Hello, it's Justin. Oh, woof. Dougie! Who do you want to play with? And then you get asked, who do you want to play with? So at that point, the, the child can answer with one of the characters they've heard or any of the characters we've got. Uh, so if they say Dougie and they're not understood, uh, we'll come back and say... Sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Who would you like to play with? They say Dougie again and they're still not understood. Then we don't, we don't prompt them for a third time. We would just say... Oops, I still don't understand. Would you like to meet more friends? Or would you like a surprise? And so when you offer children a surprise, you know, nine out of ten will take that surprise. And what that surprise is, is we just randomly pick a game for you. But because we called it a surprise, you know, we're taking this bad situation where children are perhaps on the verge of getting so frustrated that they'll say, say, stop to the device. Uh, and we will instead spring them into something exciting. And what our research showed us was that a surprise to a child is it's like a drug basically they absolutely love a surprise even if what they get at the end of the sort of surprise process is just a game that they have played before the notion of a surprise is exciting we have a big drum roll in there here's your surprise 
and kids absolutely love that and it really shifts the focus from i'm not being understood and i'm getting frustrated to suddenly i've got this sort of special treat and uh, although that seems like very you know sort of very specifically aimed at kids i think there's there's definitely something um, that we could all learn from that when designing skills for anyone this idea of don't keep people in loops move them onto something you know i think that's definitely like a huge learning that we've taken away from this process was that something that you found um you mentioned that you were doing kind of research and stuff is that something that you found in the research process or was that something that you found through building something and then sort of testing it was it was that really apparent straight away or did you have to go away and build something and, and kind of like test it and find out at that point uh, that was something that we found out during our user testing. So we did loads of user testing throughout the six months that we've worked on this, um, using sort of Wizard of Oz style testing, where we would set up the device as a Bluetooth speaker, and then we'd sort of trigger a load of sounds, uh, listening to the child and responding, um, basically being the brain of the smart speaker. Uh, and we found that really early on uh, that children aren't very good at speaking and although when in that process we can we can understand we knew that alexa wouldn't you know uh, we would take recordings from these sessions then we would play them to the device and see what the device thought the child said and it was really clear that that early on you know the kids are going to have a, a hard time being understood here so so really d- designing for children is about designing for when things go wrong which kind of seems appropriate if you've got kids if you know what children are like you know expect things to go wrong would be you know one of our principles and when you're so for example the the cbb skill and as i said as we go through this we'll put some audio in there so the example of the bbc the the cbb skill um on first of all it it is fantastic the 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 sound design element of it is which you'd obviously expect from the bbc it is absolutely spot on you know you mentioned the drum rolls and there's also um there's a game where you can play like hide hide no fight you're trying to find somebody aren't you i can't remember specifically who it is but little monster yeah little monster yeah yeah and when you when you if you guess and you get it wrong there's a really quirky little sound effect that plays to to let you know that you've got it wrong good guess but i think that sound might be something else so it's really really good but what i noticed one of the observations i noticed is that as as much as possible from what i've kind of seen it's a lot of it is around uh giving giving options rather than being open-ended so for example would you like a game or a story? Do you want to play? Do you want to listen to the story about the bear that wants the hug, or do you want to hear the story about this? And it's kind of like rather than saying, you know, tell us what you want to do and having it really open ended, it's more kind of like make a choice out of these options. Was that done on purpose based on that, or is, is that just how it is? Uh, yeah, it was a conscious decision. Um, that came from speaking to lots of parents about how they um, choose bedtime stories for their kids. And lots of parents said that they would never in a million years offer their their child like the full bookshelf to choose from. Like they would give them two books and say, do you want this one or this one? My bookshelf is full of stories. I'm going to pick out two for you to choose from. And so we, we base the design on that, really. Um, children can be really indecisive if you give them a, a big choice. And we didn't want navigation that was really bulky and long. We didn't want to read out 10 different stories that you could choose from. Um, so the design of the navigation 
really tried to find a balance between navigation and discovery. So if you go for pure navigation, you basically list a sitemap and say, what do you want? Which is a horrible voice experience. That's like a sort of old phone system, you know, voice voice approach. Um, but, it, but if you just do like a small amount of options, then are you sure that, you know, children are going to discover the breadth of our content and the discovery side is going to work? So we, we sort of hit upon something that's kind of in the middle of that where we give them two random prompts and then we ask them, you know, which one do they want? But that question is actually open because we, we also find that children aren't afraid to ask for what they want. So when, uh, when the skill says to you, who do you want to play with? You can name any of the characters that we support, even if they've not announced themselves to you. So, uh, and the same thing with the stories. So, um, yeah, we will present you with two stories, but if you know specifically which story you want, you can say that and we will, uh, we'll match that and we'll give you that. Um, we're not being explicit in saying it's an open question because, because of that insight from parents that telling them it's an open question, um, you know, sort of in, invites indecision uh, and invites children to stay up way past their bedtime instead of getting straight into a story and uh, enjoying it and falling asleep. So what you're saying there then, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying there is essentially the skill that and focusing against purely on CBBs, the skill that that is there has a lot more content than what's actually offered, and you just randomise the two prompts. Is that right? Yeah. So absolutely. the two prompts will be different all the time, and there's more that sits behind it. Yeah. Yeah, we give you a very narrow focus on quite a big content set. Uh, now that probably won't stay the same forever. We're going to hit a tipping point where this approach might not work anymore. I don't know when that'll be. I don't know what the maximum number of stories and games is before offering to feels limiting. But for the time being, uh, we think it works really well. And do you find that kids are going for a new one each time or they have their favorite and they want to do it over and over and over and over? Uh, We are seeing a mix of both, which is exactly what we expected because that's what some of the parents told us. Uh, parents told us that their kids either wanted something new every night or that they wanted the same story um, every night for a month. And so there's, there's like two different types of child. Uh, and our stats are telling us that all the games and all the stories are basically being enjoyed equally. So so we're really happy with how our navigation's performing. That's interesting about kind of how, how, how you've kind of managed to make Alexa... Fit. So when we spoke to Heidi Culbertson, what she was saying is essentially when she's designing user experiences for older adults, the aim is to try and get them to do something that they naturally do every day but using Alexa. So it's you're not trying to change too much. You're not trying to kind of create this whole new habit. You're just trying to get them to do one thing that they already do every day. And it seems as though from the research that you've been doing, it's almost as if you've kind of created the experience that just slots so neatly into the the uh, the typical story time, do you know. So you're taking cues from what's actually happening in the real world, and you've you've kind of replicated that within the voice experiences. Do you think that is one of the reasons why why these experiences are, are so good? Is because it is because you've essentially built them solely around that situation. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it's sort of like a schematic approach, really, in the same way that you know. When iOS, uh, you know, in the early days of iOS, everything looked like it had a sort of a, a basis in 
physical reality. It, I think we're kind of going through that with voice, but we'll come out the other side. And you know, when people are more voice literate, maybe in the future, we might be able to move away from that. But it's a it's a great leg up in the early days of voice, I think, to to base it on you know existing user behaviour, which is obviously a you know it's a massive UX win being able to do that. But but yeah, we've definitely been inspired by. Um, by what parents and what children have told us about about their behaviour um, when enjoying other forms of content, yeah. Mm. I'm curious around how you kind of how you how you go about doing that kind of research. Obviously, the BBC, I suppose, it's unique for the BBC because you know you've got lots of resources. It's a it's a relatively well resourced company, large reach. Um, but still, the, 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 the concept and the idea of doing user research with kids and with parents is quite a challenging, I suppose. Well, you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine they're a pretty hard group of people to get hold of. I'm wondering whether you can talk us through a little bit about, you said it took six months to do this, I'm wondering whether you can talk us a little bit about that research rep- approach in terms of, you know, how you know was it simple enough to get hold of people? And, and if you did and when you did, how did the whole kind of research unfold throughout the project? So... Um what I realized is that I, when I outlined the members of our UX team, uh, I failed to mention that we also have a dedicated design researcher. Sorry about that, Charlotte, but Charlotte's <laughs> been fantastic throughout this entire process. Um, and uh, so Charlotte's led our research. And the way we've done that research, we've done lots of user testing. So we've tested with over 60 children over the six months. We've done seven user testing sessions. Um, and most of them have been in our lab, but we've done a couple in schools as well. Um, and recruiting uh, recruiting children that have got experience of uh, a smart speaker uh, is quite difficult. You know, it's not a big market at the moment. Um, and obviously we're based up in Salford. And so that sort of narrows down, you know, the, the potential um, research subjects quite a lot but we have managed to make it work you just have to have quite a quite a, a big lead time so we've uh, we've structured our entire process around user testing knowing that maybe a month from now we'll have a user testing session and we need to have something ready for that and that's been great because that's really focused us um and our user testing sessions always start with 10 15 maybe 20 minutes of uh, questions and warm-up that's another thing that that children require because there's no screen uh be- you know, because there's nothing for a child to see or sort of physically play with. Children need a lot of warming up before they're going to sort of speak to a speak to a device in front of a design researcher. But yeah, we, we get sort of 15, 20 minutes of really good insight into um, into the, the household, into how parents are using it, how children are using it, how they use it together, when they use it. Uh, and then we move on to sort of task-based approach where we will have a prototype we'll take them through that prototype um ask them loads of questions about it and and those have been really useful sessions we've sort of iterated and honed things as we've gone through um and the very last session we did um was actually using a real device with the real skill on it so the first the first six sessions were all wizard of oz testing where we were spoofing a device basically but by the time we got to the last one we had a device uh, we had a skill that was developed enough that we were able to take kids through it. And at that point, suddenly the focus shifted from the usability of what we were designing to suddenly the technology. 
And at that point, we found um, that a lot of our aeropaths that we had did work really well. Children were, you know, as uh, did uh, struggle to be understood by Alexa as much as we expected. And those aeropaths really kicked in and, and acted as really good safety nets that, that meant children didn't get too frustrated. Hmm. And you had, so, so that research has then translated into all of the sort of design work that you've done. And you, you were kind of, when we spoke previously, you kind of, you mentioned that, that you've got these kind of 12 principles of sort of design practices, if you like. And I know that obviously you're going to be speaking about this at, at Mobile UX London. So maybe, maybe we, we can keep some for, for those that are attending there without, without, without sort of spoiling the, the, the surprise somewhat. But I'm wondering whether you can take us through some of them and maybe, you know, talk a little bit about the principles and, and how they came about, how you learned and how you kind of crafted them. So the principles are quite a recent thing that we've put together. Um, we launched the skill on September the 3rd and we, we sort of brought everyone together over two sessions and we ran through all of our research. We pulled out all of the insights from the, from the last six months and we went through all of those and we asked people to, to contribute um, what they thought the principles that we've learned from all of these research sessions were. Um, and we put them all together and we had about 250 different principles that people had come up with. And so we affinity sorted those and, and pulled themes out, pushed them all together. And, uh, and we, we came back with 12 different principles that we've got. And uh, I am going to cover some of them at uh, Mobile UX London, uh, but not all of them. Um, I've talked about some of them uh, previously at another event. Um, and the, ultimately, they're going to go on bbc.co.uk forward slash gel. Bit of a shout out for the gel team there, uh, where there's loads of how-to articles. Um, but I can talk about a few of them. Um, so one one thing that you might have noticed, Kane, when you've been using the skill, is that you never hear um, Alexa's voice. You never hear a smart speaker. It's uh, And that is by design. Um we found in our very early testing that when you put Alexa's voice next to Mr. Tumble or Hey Dougie, that it falls completely flat. Like she does not have the, she doesn't have the, the range of emotion in a voice and she doesn't speak the way that you'd speak to a child. And it, it would really fall flat when you move from one to the other. So we made the decision really early on to banish Alexa. And, um, and, and that was, that was like a really big principle to us that you, you shouldn't talk to children, um, using a synthesized, you know, monotone, cold voice. You should use a real voice to speak to children. So that was one of our principles. Um, so that, so that, sorry, let's, let's, before, before we kind of move on, I'm just wondering whether, um, you mentioned that going forward, there'll be more stories put in there and, and, and it'll be something that carries on kind of enhancing. How do you approach design going forward when you have a, essentially now a commitment to use pre-recorded audio as such uh we the the voice of the skill is rebecca who is one of the cbb's presenters um and uh the children's team is based up here in salford and so she is literally in a building across the road from us so getting access to to record with rebecca is quite easy um so so really we just the entire children's department is set up to efficiently record with talent. Um, and we've got lots of people that help us organize that. Um, and really we just have to be organized and stay on top of it and make sure that we've got a big file that lists everything that needs to be said in the skill. Um, 
and we we make sure that we plan around Rebecca's availability. We actually had a situation last week where we found out that Rebecca was um, going to be in Panto for the whole of December, and we had some recording that she needed. So we had to move quite quickly to make sure that we could get everything we needed for the rest of the year recorded by her. So it does put a little bit of pressure on, but uh, but it's definitely worth it. And we we wouldn't um, we would never fall back on using. Uh, using Alexa's voice uh, for the reason you know that, that I outlined uh, before. So really, it's, it's just a case of, of being organised and, and staying on top of it. That seems like BBC, NPR, these media companies. It seems like your moat in a lot of ways in this voice space, where Kane, you or I, we're not going to necessarily be able to hire voice talent uh, for the skills we build, uh, and we we can certainly record it ourselves, but that having that voice talent in there makes for such just a polished experience overall. Uh, And it's something that the BBC obviously is very well um, established in doing. I imagine though that that requires a lot of upfront planning on your part, a lot of upfront testing as well. Uh, Because if we're using Alexa and we need to, we find we've got an error or something just falls flat with our users, we can go in and we can change the text but I imagine that you needed to do a lot of testing up front to make sure that you weren't going back to her every single day and going, actually, sorry, I, I need to re-record that sentence you did yesterday. Yeah, so the, the whole team pitches in. So we only record with Rebecca once um, once we actually, you know, we've finalised something and we're happy with it. We use Catherine, uh, who is our UX writer, um, as our sort of Aldi off-brand Rebecca, because <laughs> she, she grew up in Wales and Rebecca's from Wales as well. And so she does a, a mean impression of that. And and that's actually been really useful. Um, at one point, I was Mr. Tumble as well. I'm very good at Mr. <laughs> Tumble's voice now. Um, but what was really good about that was we were actually able to certify with Amazon um, without Rebecca. So the very first time we certified the skill, um, it was all Catherine's voice in there. Uh, we'd recorded that, edited it. And then when it came to recording with Rebecca, um, she just... She had the she had the script. She, we recorded with her, and we were just able to replace the files in. I think it was in an S three bucket, and Amazon never noticed the difference. You know, they didn't pick up on that. So that's a really useful thing that we're able to do to make sure that recording with talent, you know, isn't a blocker for almost any of it. The the only thing it would block us on doing uh, would be actually launching. Uh, but we can pass it through certification, through beta testing, through user testing, uh, all using sort of. Aldi off-brand voices and, and all pitching in, really. So I, I just want to back up for a second. Can we get your best Mr. Tumble? Can we get an off-brand Mr. Tumble? Uh, what would he say? Uh, it's me, Justin! That's, that's kind of it. <laughs> I, 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 that's, that's not too bad. I'll put I'll put the it's me, Justin, because that's what he says in the scale. I'll put that in there after that. And that's not too bad, that, yeah. Hello, it's Justin. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I'm copying the, the previous Aldi off-brand Justin. Uh, shout out to Johnny Addy, who did very good Justin impression, and I've just copied the way he did it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but we all pitch in. I think, I think another point to make about um, recording with talent is that we do it because it's the kids skill but we also do it because um, this is not like a task-based skill that has anything sort of too dynamic in it it's really quite a static skill where it's just lots of branches and and we cover all eventualities for something that has dynamic content like the BBC skill for instance um, 
has different podcast names and obviously we can't have talent come in all the time to to cover that so that that does use a, th- a synthesized voice that does use alexa's voice basically so so it, not only is it difficult for um for everyone to do it's also not necessary and and sort of borderline impossible if your skill requires you know making a call to an api and data that changes did you find that kids when they use the skill for the first time that they're confused that there's another voice coming through is alexa handing it off to the bbc skill in any way um no i don't no no we didn't experience that i think um i think because we had well we, we had an off-brand uh, an off-brand Rebecca who was you know very close to the voice um, they they just sort of went with it you know kids don't don't question it too much I had one of one of the children and one of the parents actually thought that my impression of Justin was Justin so uh, so yeah pe- without the, without the pictures um, yeah people seem to just go with it yeah that, so that, that are, was not a problem yeah. so these are characters that are well known, known enough to the kids that they're expecting something other than Alexa to speak back to them. Yeah, absolutely. The The reason that we used Rebecca, the reason she got selected as the narrator, uh, is because she does, she's a presenter on CBB, so she does all the links uh, between the programs. So she was like a real, a real natural to do the links between the games and the stories. So we kind of viewed the skill as, as an extension of the TV channel, CBB. So, you know, turn off the TV, you know, say Alexa open CBBS, and you basically continue in the same universe. That's the idea. Mm, that's wicked. That and 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 what about the um? So and I don't know if this is another principle, and and, and you, we can maybe talk about that if it is. But so recording voices and not using Alexa's voice, but there, there is also a heavy reliance on on sound effects and, and on music and stuff like that. So. Is is there a, is there an overhead in that respect as well? Uh, maybe it's overhead's the wrong word because the the experience is is actually fantastic. And Dustin, you're mentioning there that people get caught out a little bit when it's not Alexa. I actually was caught out a little bit in the kitchen uh, this week when I was testing it out because. I'm, I'm so used to testing skills out and, and the vast majority of them do just use Alexa. And when I started this, I, I expected it to be fairly good. I expected it to sound pretty good, but I didn't expect it to kind of almost wow me as such. It was it was really kind of obviously professional. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, it's, and, and it's not just because of the voices. It's also because of the music and the sound effects and all that kind of stuff. So what goes into that? As a designer, Paul, do, do you kind of specify the kind of music Music that you want and, and and if so what's the process of getting all of them sound effects and music together uh well believe it or not I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled that you that you like it um but but we're not we're not 100 happy with the sounds that are in there at the moment we've got lots of little stings in there uh, and they all come from the same family um but i think we wanted to do maybe a bit more with them um I quite I, I quite like when people on podcasts are, are quite honest and talk about things that didn't go so well. Um, so I'm going to do that. Um, so our our approach to sound design on this uh, not as rigorous as we would have liked. Um, it can't, it's we kind of left it till quite late in the process. All of the sounds that you hear in the skill um, are um, a placeholder sounds that we put in, thinking we would replace them later. And when the time came to, to launch, we almost sort of run out of time. Um, we wanted to have a much stronger, 
UX approach to picking these sounds. We wanted to design them. Uh, we wanted we did loads of research into how to do sound design and and what these sounds should be doing. We wanted to write a brief and have somebody compose the sounds basically. Um, and in the end, we you know we weren't able to to fulfil that. I I had this amazing vision of me being able to send a brief to you know to a sound designer and he'd come back with something and I'd say you know turn that bit up a bit or can we have a bit more bass? I thought it was you know a big fantasy of mine was to do that and we we never quite got to that point um, because it's a digital product we'll be able to change them in the future. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad you've not noticed. That's that's quite good. That means that at least the sounds we picked, which were just sort of stock sounds, um, are doing a good enough job, which was kind of our view at the time. But um, but our process for picking them was, was literally uh, we sat down with the editorial team, who we work very closely with. Um, we all picked a few sounds, and then we decided on the ones that we thought were most appropriate. Like I said, they, they all come from the same family, so that they sound like they sort of work well together. Um, but yeah, I think in, in future we might improve those even more. Hmm. That's a nice stroke of luck then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so on with the principles then. The first principle being uh, try not to ever hear Alexa's voice or don't use Alexa's voice. Use uh, talent to record the, the audio. What are, what are maybe a couple of some of the other sort of principles that, you, uh, that you've come up with? Uh, so another one of our principles is... Um, a really it might seem like an obvious one, but don't ask rhetorical questions uh, because children will try and answer them. Uh, we, how, how do you mean? So at one point, uh, well, in the school at the moment, uh, if you say you want to play a game, um, you will hear someone say, Let's listen and find out who's here to play. And then you'll hear two characters, and then you'll be asked, who do you want to play with? Um, that's a question that you can answer. But we previously had it so that it said, uh, who's here to play? And then you would get the two characters. And almost every time, children would answer that question. And in answer, when the device wasn't listening, um, it wasn't a question. It was just sort of Rebecca going, who's here to play? And then, and then you'd sort, sort of as a prompt for the, the two characters to speak. But kids would say things like they'd say their own name or they'd say, like, mummy's here to play or they'd say who they wanted to be here to play and they wouldn't hear the characters. And then when they were asked, who do you want to play with, they they'd, they would often miss that question, you know. So so making sure you don't use rhetorical questions is, is like really key because that kind of leads on to another principle, which is that uh, children, like, want to answer everything and they want to answer right away. So... So basically, if you're asking a question, and I think this is a, I think this is a principle for all ages. If you're asking a question, um, make sure that you end the sentence with it and listen for an answer immediately. Don't ask the question and then provide a bit of follow-up information and then go to a prompt. You know, you should make sure that the sentence ends with the question so it can be answered immediately. And it's really true for kids because they're so enthusiastic when they when they get a question because that, that's the fun part for for a. a a voice device for a child is being able to talk back to it. So they're going to want to do that as soon as they hear a question. So make sure that that's at the end of the sentence. And I, I think that's, you know, a really, really solid principle that we have now. Hmm. Does that mean that you need to, um, on the interactive side, I know there's a, there's a story 
feature which will it'll just read you the story you know it'll kind of read the whole story to you but on the game side it, it, does that mean then because kids are so keen to speak does that mean you need to keep whatever the device is doing fairly short and succinct yeah absolutely absolutely yeah um on the um, rhetorical questions one, you mentioned that if you say who's here to play and the kid starts answering, I think that, for me, that from what you were saying, that highlights another reason why actually doing research in the first place is so important. Because if you didn't do any research at all, then you wouldn't even realise that that's, what, that's happening, would you? Because it's not as if the device is going to tell you if it's not listening. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we When we defined these principles, we looked back uh, through all the research and we were absolutely laughing at, at our first attempts in sort of March and April at the navigation, uh, how we had, uh, you know, what we thought might work for children. We've, we've come a real long way in those six months. And uh, yeah, it, it's been, yeah, it's, it's been an incredible process going from, from getting it very wrong to getting it less wrong, I think. So, okay. So we've got never, never use Alexa's voice. Don't use rhetorical questions. Always end the if you're going to ask a question then end your segment with the question rather than rub it in on afterwards well we've got two examples of that so a bad example would be who do you want to play with you can play with justin or andy if you say who do you want to play with they'll answer straight away so what you should say is justin and andy are here who would you like to play with that works a lot better it's only a subtle thing but it actually means that children will be listening when you give them the information they need to answer the question and not vice versa. That's the, the, the subtleties are where everything falls down though. I think like I'm in the process and maybe by the time this is out, I'll, I'll have kind of published it, but I'm in the process of writing an article, which is all around the, the multimodal aspect of things. So how a screen can give you a response faster than audio can do and how you can look at an image and you can process that image or you can skim through, you know, a sentence or a paragraph of text quicker than you can sit and listen to it. So, when it comes to formulating responses, you know, being succinct and being kind of um, brief, if you can be, if the, you know, ends up, or it might not feel that important at that moment in time, you know, to have a screen to tell you the answer to a sum or calculation that you've asked for. It might not feel that important because the device, so if it's audio only, the device will repeat the question nine times 12 is X, whereas the screen will just give you the answer. And over time, if you're in a relatively complex interaction or interactive kind of environment, over time, all them little subtleties all added together end up being that the experience is either longer than it should have been or it's a bit more boring than it could have been um so i think that although that's a subtlety i think the subtleties are actually where the magic happens in this absolutely yeah i mean literally two or three words can make a massive difference to to how somebody will respond um a, a good example of that a, a, you know another one of our principles is around how sensitive children are um so, so none of our aeropaths that we have put the blame on the child because um, children, you should almost treat children uh, who are using a voice device uh, like you would um, Elton John. You know, you have to pick your words, make sure you don't make them angry or upset, you know, and because uh, we made a mistake. So we had, um, we had an error prompt that said, sorry, I didn't understand what you said. And... There were two words on there, well, three words on there that were unnecessary that made this particular child feel really bad. He was struggling to speak anyway, 
And as soon as it came back and said to him, sorry, I didn't understand what you said, he focused on the last two words, what you said. He really took it to mean, I've misspoken. I'm the one who's who's to blame here. And with children, you know, they're, they're very, very sensitive. And he was he really sort of went into a shell. And we really struggled in that user testing session uh, to get a lot out of him because he felt so, so, you know, put off speaking because he felt like he was at, at fault. So one of our principles is uh, is never use language or tone to make a child feel as though they're to blame. So instead of saying, sorry, I, I didn't understand what you said, we now just say, oops, I still don't understand. So we take the blame. I think that's a really good UX principle for for any skill. You know, always take the blame, never put it on, on the user because ultimately the person who's, well, the, the party in this situation that's probably to blame is the smart speaker not being very good at listening to you, you know? Um, and may, maybe we should say, sorry, you know, the, the NLP is not very good, but, you know, I don't think, uh, I don't think that would go down well in certification, but, but yeah, ultimately we take the blame. And so, so the child's never made to feel bad because that's kind of the BBC children's mantra. Like we don't make children cry. That's like the number one rule. And, uh, so those, those, those three words, what you said Taking those out, that subtlety had a massive impact, uh, or you know, or or it would have done for that child. We think it's a pretty good principle. Yeah. Never made children cry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> wicked. Um, you mentioned in terms of um, earlier on, you were saying around kind of you, you were able to replace some of the audio with some newly recorded audio and you didn't have to go through the certification and stuff sounds as though you're working on this sort of stuff all the time what's what's the kind of update kind of frequency like that is, is this something that's always updating and are, are you are you always updating or fixing things or are you always releasing new stuff and what, what is it like in terms of the maintenance and, and constant improvement of this stuff so uh at the start of october we released stories so when we first launched in September, we had uh, three games in the skill. Uh, then in September, uh, in October, sorry, we added uh, four stories. Uh, and last week, we added a new Hey Dougie game, which I would highly, highly recommend. You get to create your own unique song. It's fantastic. Um, everyone should check that out. If you could include a load of clips of that, that'd be amazing because yeah. the music for that is another level, I tell you. Today, we're earning our music badge, and we need your help to make a song. First things first, we need to pick a beat. A beat! Two weeks from now, we're going to be adding some more stories, and two weeks after that, we're going to be adding another game, and we're trying to get into um, this sort of two-week release cycle where every two weeks we're adding either new stories or new games or maybe something new and different even than that. No spoilers. But, but yeah, we're, we're trying to make sure that the skill is sticky and that uh, users keep coming back and we, we develop that as a habit. How do you let them know that there's something new coming down the pipe or that there's something new that they can try? Uh, we have recently done a piece of work around... Uh, signposting new content drops so they will be presented uh, with uh, with a new piece of content for probably a week um, and that's something that we're trying out for the first time uh, to find out whether or not that does you know does ensure that that kids are trying out the new content because that's our goal ultimately is to let children you know know that there is new content and also to 
to kind of give them a, a push into it because all of the games that that we're releasing and all the stories that we're adding they're all just experiments to us each game has got a different game mechanic uh, by design because we want to find out what what game mechanics work well for voice and we want to find out which stories work well for voice so so yeah it's really in our interest to have a really big sort of billboard in the skill that says the hey Dougie games here try this out um and uh, and yeah success for us is is kids trying all of the games is is the breadth of content being enjoyed because because we'll learn more that way and are you showing or speaking to them that billboard based on their usage or is everyone getting that uh, at the moment, everyone's getting that. Um, when we when we took on this piece of work, we we had like a number of levers that we wanted to pull. Like we thought it might be nice if we could find out how many times the user uh, had been in the skill and perhaps only put it in front of them three times, so it didn't get annoying. Um, but there's a big uh, big piece of work going on around GDPR and storing data. Um, and so to begin with, we're just going to do it manually and we're going to put it in the skill for seven days so that you know there are four new stories or there's a new game. Uh, and then we'll take it off and then you'll have a week of um, of there being sort of nothing new. And then, and then after that, you'll have a new content drop again. And that way there'll be a little bit of contrast. So... It won't. It won't be this skill where it, where it's always telling you there's something new. It'll be a case of something's new for a week. Then we go to sort of status quo for a week, and then um, something's new again for a week. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think that contrast is really important. I say that that's just our best guess. Um, and as with, as with all things that we do um, in UX and D at the BBC, um, put uh, put forward our best guess, and then we we use data um, to validate that. Sounds as though that's. I mean, it's a fairly tight sort of time scale, isn't it? Every two weeks, it must be, it must be, you know, you must be thinking quite far in advance in terms of the the stuff that you've been working on. Obviously, you must know next week what's coming up and then next month ideas for what's happening. So it seems it seems as though there's some fairly rapid sort of work being done. Uh, absolutely. Well, the the six months we spent um, working on this did involve working on more than just what we launched with. Um, so we, we kind of worked like, like the Simpsons, like the way, the way the Simpsons worked was they would do a load of episodes, have them all in production. And then the season would start and they'd have a few, you know, sort of stocked up ready to go. And we, you know, we, uh, we're working in much the same way. We've got, we've got things that are finished now that we're holding back basically. Hmm. Same way podcasts tend to work in it. <laughs> um, but it's interesting the way you describe that. And I think first time we spoke, you were talking about the concept of skills within skills. So typically, everyone who creates, or most people that create um, skills, they will create an interactive story. That'll be a skill. They'll create another story. That'll be another skill. You know, or you'll have, you know, the ambient sound skills are really popular. So you'll have one skill which does fireside sounds, another skill that does thunderstorm sound. And that seems to be what Amazon kind of are pushing. You have specific skills that do specific stuff. You've kind of turned this almost into like an app that, that, that does all kinds of stuff. And rather than having a lots and lots of skills all over the place that do loads of different stuff, there's one skill. That's the entry point into CBBs in, in the voice kind of world. And then from there, you've got a whole breadth of content. How was that decision made? Um, 
Well, that decision happened before I joined the team, but I, I asked the same question. It dawned on me at one point that, that we were going against sort of the grain of the platform. You know, nothing's set up to cater for skills within skills, or certainly it wasn't at the time. I think we've got skill connections now, um, but that's quite primitive still. Um, just allows you to print, I think, um, in another <laughs> using another skill. Um, mm-hmm. But but I know that the BBC has like such big ambitions for voice. Um, but we wanted a single front door so that we could you know ensure consistency, trust, and also avoid fragmentation. You know, the, the BBC's got a lot of uh, mobile apps, and I think what we wanted was that single front door where everything was was sort of in one place because we know how difficult discovery is on voice and we don't want to make that even harder by separating the products or separating the games, you know, and there's, there's definitely something to be said for once they're through that front door, we can show them our entire library of games and stories. Um, so it was a strategic decision and, uh, and that has been difficult. There's been some, some real challenges with that. Um, it's actually possible to run out of utterances within a skill so the the Justin's hide and seek game that you described, um, where you have to find a little monster, that is a game where you'll hear a sound and you have to identify what that sound is. So obviously you build in like a lot of different utterances to cover, you know, the sound of water, for instance. It could be a bath, it could be a drip, it could be a splash, it could be water, all these different things. But when you um, when you put those words and attach them to an intent. Uh, as we have to, you then can't use them elsewhere. So we're kind of in this in this weird world where we're having to be really careful about the words we use, and um, and we have to make sure that if we need to use a word in one skill that we haven't used it in another in, in one game, we haven't used it in another game. Um, so that that's been really difficult. So does that mean then that if you did do that, or? or- a different scenario does that mean that let's say for example if you're in one game and you then make an utterance that is actually an utterance that's for a different game what happens then or is that just so so unlikely that there's no point in really considering it uh no that that is uh quite likely we've had to we've had to manage that um you wouldn't be able to do that basically there's no um there's no way we can listen for a specific word and say, if you're in this state, do this, or if you're in that state, do that, because the, the sort of the, I think it's like a JSON file of uh, intents that you have is completely flat. There's like no hierarchy to it. I'm speaking in way too much detail about development stuff <laughs> that I don't know about really. <laughs> this is, this is what, uh, what the team tell me. Um, and we've had, we've had like a few meetings about this where we, we have like a repository of words and we, when we're creating new experiences and uh, we actually check that and make sure that things aren't clashing. The, the Justin game is actually a huge, a huge offender because the right, there isn't one specific right answer. You know, we, we wouldn't be able to say, we wouldn't be able to say that one of the answers was just bath and you can only say bath because it's identifying a sound, but that we would, we basically wouldn't create that game again now knowing what we know. (laughs) But who's to say in the future that the platform won't change and that uh, we won't be able to use, um, you know, the same words elsewhere. But for the time being, we're, we're really having to manage that. So that's been a big challenge. Um, but again, it's just about being sort of rigorous and organized and mindful. And, and really, it's about us all working together. So, so you know, 
a game isn't created in isolation by the editorial team. You know, we, we all work together on on everything to do with the BBC Kids skill to to make sure that we've all got visibility of what's going on and that we don't accidentally tread on each other's toes. Mm. Yeah, it is quite a design challenge that, and I'm assuming that there must have been other challenges that you faced in having all of these things within one skill. You mentioned one thing around getting people to discover new content and stuff like that and, and putting up almost billboards, if you like. What are some of the other challenges then that you faced in terms of getting all of this content within one skill and then having people navigate around it? What are some of the other sort of design challenges you faced? Uh, one of the design challenges um, is the number of files you can have in a row, audio files that play. So Amazon let you have five files in a row uh audio files that, that can play any more than that uh and the skill will fail and shut down and you'll get an error um so if you're going through navigation and we're playing sounds for that and then you go into a game um the skill doesn't know that we've got a game inside a skill it doesn't know that it just knows how many files have you played so we've had to do loads of combining of files so where you might hear a sort of a an audio tone and then you'll hear Rebecca say something and then she might say something else and it sounds like it's a different audio file. We've actually had to combine all those together to make sure that we don't exceed that limit of five files and that we don't, ex- you know, don't exceed the amount of time as well that can be, um, that can be taken up with those five files. So, so there's a few limitations from the platform that cause a problem. Um, and another issue is that because we are adding, um, individual parts to the skill um, all the time when we uh, when we pass it through certification Amazon asks us if you know we'd like to go through a beta process and I think they pass that over to um, they pass over to a third party um, and quite often what we'll get back from that beta uh, the feedback we'll get is on other parts of the skill that have already been certified. So we're a bit like, oh, you know, every time we get told the same thing about, you know, that we've we've talked to Amazon about and agreed. Um, So, yeah, occasionally, like, you know, the same feedback will come back time and time again. And and we just want to say, no, we're only certifying four new stories or, you know, something like that. So so that's been not, yeah, not challenging, but, you know. A slight difficulty, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting about this. I didn't realise in terms of the audio file. So that does that mean then that if you enter a skill or, or what have you, then if you are playing an audio file after every single response, then essentially the user can only have five responses. Is that No, so so it's five audio files in a row. If you interrupt it Ah. with a prompt, that's fine. But where we come into issues is with our help file. So if you go into a help file, if you say, you know, if you say help, we'll play a help file for you. And that's that's one. And then you might go back to a part of the skill that's then got five files in a row. So that would be six altogether. So we've had to be really smart and look for opportunities where in our user flows where we can combine files together right fantastic well paul this has been absolutely fantastic that i would definitely recommend everyone check out that skill you'll have heard it throughout this episode in terms of the quality even though paul has been saying that some of the sounds in there are what they wouldn't have preferred to use i think it's absolutely spot on and the bbc are absolutely killing it from from a from a voice perspective and i can't wait to see what happens next this this cbb skill is now mine and our little boys uh go-to skill in the kitchen uh, so that's definitely going to 
going to be used to us from now on. So, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. It's been absolutely immense. Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, yeah, th- thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, keep enjoying the skill and yeah, keep an eye out for new stories uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Wicked. And where can people kind of follow the work that the BBC are doing or, or reach out to you online? Where's the best place for people to go to keep track of all this stuff? Yeah, so um, at BBC UXD on uh, Twitter and Instagram. That's the uh, UX and design departments. Um, social and I'm made by Magnolia on the same um, social networks because uh, Paul Jackson's quite a boring generic name that's very difficult to get social handles for so yeah I'm made by Magnolia and uh, yeah always up for, for talking about the BBC Kids skill and, uh, and voice Fantastic and Paul will also be at Mobile UX London on the 21st of November you can get your tickets at mobileuxlondon.com and I'll be hosting the event as well so I'm looking forward to seeing you there as well Paul Yeah it'd be great to meet you in person Exactly nice one Paul thank you very much that's been wicked Cheers. Take care. That was Paul Jackson of the BBC. Real, real innovators in this place, the BBC, in the voice world. Obviously, the pedigree that they have is unrivaled globally. (laughs) You know, fully, fully, really kind of immersing themselves into this. Team of 12, 12, what was this here? 12 designers. That's just working on the design side, on the UX side. Um, so they're really, really invested in this. Do check out the CBB skill. Uh, it's well worth checking out if you've got kids. So even if you don't, I found it funny. The baby wasn't even with us. I was just playing with it in the kitchen. Um, but yeah, it's really good. Loved what Paul was talking about there. You know, there's so much detail into that. The principles, let's recap the principles. So never use Alexa's voice. Don't ask rhetorical questions, which you shouldn't do, should you? (laughs) Uh, End your sentences with uh, the question, uh, rather than asking the question and then defining it more. Uh, And never use language that blames the child. That's a good principle as well. Uh, Really interesting concept, what they've got going on with putting skills within skills and having all of these various stories and, and, uh, you know, interactive games and stuff within one skill is a really innovative way of looking at it. I've never come across anything like that before. Although I do think Invoked Apps and Nick Schwab, they have released something that compiles all of their soundscapes into into a single skill um but it's it's still it's still fairly fairly new and fairly uh, fairly different so yeah thank you paul for, for sharing those insights that was absolutely fantastic the, the work that you've been doing is, is unbelievable really really appreciate you taking the time uh, to speak to us and we'll see you paul and some of you listeners out there hopefully at mobile ux london on the 21st of november 21st of november <laughs> thank you dustin as well for co-hosting that was immense uh, until next time boys and girls see you later see you next time for more great fun in justin's house